welcome you back to the Baseball Elite Podcast into the final full week of the month of August. And uh, certainly crunch time for all the fantasy baseball players out there. Kyle Alfred and Ray Flowers with you for the next hour to uh, break down some of the strategies you might want to employ down the stretch. And uh, Ray, we should note there are some leagues that I guess you would just say, quote unquote, the regular season um, is kind of definitely coming to an end. And, and everybody has different playoff setups. Some people don't even play in the month of September because of the start of the fantasy football season. But there might be some people who are uh, battling for a title this week. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I've made aware, I don't really like playoffs. I think it's a season long game. I think it gets very difficult to shorten things up and you can scheme the system a little bit, if you will. But I know that that's you know, not what everyone does. And so I uh, obviously wish everyone well. We're, we're here on the podcast to, to help people out. We've got Rob Povia's article this week to help people set their lineups. We've got the chat room over at Fantasy Guru if people want to ask, start them, sit them, all those kind of stuff. So we're here to help. Yeah, I know football is going on, but folks, baseball is uh, picking up steam because some of you are close to reaching the peak and we want to make sure you reach that peak. So uh, keep it tuned into us, obviously, with the podcast. And as Ray noted, all of the other avenues that you can hit up at uh, Fantasy Guru. Um, okay, let's get to our starting nine for today. We're going to lead off with a guy who uh, made history on Sunday. Got to talk about Miggy Cabrera. 500 home runs, maybe 3,000 hits is next. And hey, his teammates, let's dig into that Detroit team. They've kind of been a surprise this year. So we'll lead off with the Tigers. In the two spot, we'll talk about maybe the uh, modern day Miguel Cabrera. Uh, Freddie Freeman, who hits home runs, who plays for average, who has had a massive rebound in the last two months, might even win the NL MVP. We'll talk about him in the two hole. In the three spot, we'll talk about the negative. You know, Gregory Polanco was supposed to be kind of like Miggy, kind of like Freddie. Hasn't come close. In fact, yesterday, the dude was placed on outright waivers. What went so wrong? For Gregory Polanco in Pittsburgh, we'll discuss that. We'll check in on the waiver wire in our Sirius XM host league in the four hole. Take a player profile of the very hot hitting Ahmed Rosario of the Cleveland Indians. That'll be in the five spot. News and notes at six. Rob Povia's weekly planner will highlight a few of his thoughts in seven. Random reference at nine and stamp of approval at one. Ray, let's begin with Miguel Cabrera. Uh, he finally got it. It's It's been a long march to 500. He seemed to be stuck on 499 for quite some time, but he got it on Sunday with a home run in Toronto and kind of just gives us an offer amp into talking about how great he has truly been. Not really a fantasy asset, I don't think anymore, Ray. Maybe AL only, you're rolling out Cabrera. He does play almost every day, <laughs> you know, which is kind of cool in AL only. Uh, but, Ray, history uh, in front of us, Miguel Cabrera gets to 500. And as I noted, he's not too far away from 3,000 hits. He is not. Yeah, he's at 29.55. So he is going to – and I should have looked this up before the show. How many guys have hit 300 with 500 runs and 3,000 hits? Small club. I can tell you, Ray. Okay. You. Um, let's see. 503,000. Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Eddie Murray, A-Rod, Pujols in the immortal Rafael Palmeiro is also on that list. So two guys on that list, PEDs for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, Miguel Cabrera and, and, you know, it depends when someone's come into this game, right. And you know, how long they've been following baseball and all that. And, you know, cause look at the last couple of years, he's been broken down and, you know, he's a guy, like you said, that you pick up for two weeks in a mixed league and then you let him go, but you look at his, his background and it's not just those numbers, which are historically great. It's two home runs. It's seven finishes in the top five in the MVP voting. It's a triple crown, 11 all-star games, batting titles, silver slugger awards. I mean, this guy's led the league in home runs multiple times, RBIs multiple times, doubles, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging. OP. I mean, it's just across the board. And I've said this previously, and, and I think it's, it's, it's certainly debatable, but I think you can make the case that he's one of the 10 greatest right-handed hitters ever. Yeah. And yeah, I think, yeah. Absolutely. Remarkable. And, and Ray, you know, obviously his, his career will always be compared to Albert Pujols. And, mm -hmm. you know, both of them are, I, I don't want to say going through the motions, but let's just say it's, it's definitely the end of the career, you know, for Pujols and Cabrera. But one difference we've got right now is that whereas Albert Pujols has seen his average fall below 300, um, we're still looking at Miggy. And I know this year's around 250, which, you know, it's a little above league average, but Ray, he's still got a 311 career batting mark so mm -hmm. he has a very good chance i mean assuming 
you know, he doesn't play another four years of hitting 230 or something. But but he's got a really good chance, Ray, of finishing with a plus 300 average, which is really rare with all the home runs, with all the hits, and then to have the 300 average. I mean, it's pretty remarkable how high he still is above 300 because he hasn't hit 300 since 2016. Well, he's got this, and here we go again with these contracts, right? That we look at all the time where guys get paid for what they've done versus where they're going to be at the end of the contract. He's got $64 million in two years left on his contract. I'm assuming he's not going to get a vesting option. I don't think he's going to be top 10 in the MVP vote. So I don't think he's going to get that. that. But think about that. He's got $64 million. And, you know, is he, does anyone, I mean, do you have enough? pride in yourself and have you made enough money that you walk away from 64 million bucks <laughs> you know and so he, he I, I hope he finishes over 300 I mean it's gonna t- it would take Mendoza like efforts here because he's not going to get 500 bats the next couple of years but uh, like you're saying it, it just goes to show you too how hard this is to to have numbers like that you know for your career because if you look at his performance over his last 460 games it's a lot of games it's in 260. You know, and so, yeah, he was, again, at his peak, remarkable. And, and he and Pools were both so so interesting as well because they're both big guys, right? Uh, obviously, Cabrera's a little bit bigger. But you you won't see two smoother, easier swings than those two guys at their peak. Go watch some video of these two. Neither one was humping up trying to hit home runs. They both had massive power to the opposite field. They let the ball travel deep. They hit line drive shots everywhere. But I was always struck by that. These two guys, very calm at the plate. This is not a guy trying to hack it into the 53rd row of the outfield, Kyle. They just had that natural power stroke with that ability and the hard work. And it's it's pretty wild, Ray. If you go over to um, baseball reference or any place that has kind of like their own war um, equation, right now, um, Miguel Cabrera is not even like in the upper half of war for this Detroit team. And I, you know, that, that speaks a little to where Cabrera is at in his career. You know, he is still batting like third almost every single night. And that's probably more respect uh, from the franchise to Cabrera than he's earned it. But Ray, this Detroit team, I wanted to bring them up and, and kind of use it as a jumping off point with Cabrera. You know, they, they enter this week at 60 and 66, which to most people, okay, you're under 500, not a good season. But I got to say, Ray, Detroit, to me, has had a very good season, being just six games under 500. Uh, They have flown past Kansas City's rebuild. You know, Detroit's actually lapping Kansas City. They're now above Minnesota, who might be getting set for a rebuild. And when you look at Detroit this year, Ray, it's, you know, I don't want to say, oh, man, watch out next season. But they've gotten some really good fantasy performances from the young pitching, like Casey Mize has done well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scooble has done well. We've seen Matt Manning have his moments, Matthew Boyd. And on the hitting side, I mean, Yamar Condelario sitting at a two and a half war. Uh, Robbie Grossman, hell of a signing for the outfield. Jonathan Scope. I mean, they have really played well. And again, this moves away from Cabrera, but there's been more fantasy help here than I would have expected from Detroit this season. There's been more fantasy help. And as you noted there, it's, you know, and someone said this to me, I was like three months ago on social media, like, Hey, these guys aren't that bad. And I kind of thought of the, uh, the major league with the Indians. Hey, these kids aren't yeah. that. It's like, you know, it's like, well, you know, they, were the Tigers ever going to win anything this year? No, but there are some pieces here. And it's not just that there are pieces here that they can feel good about next year and moving forward. It's like you said, there's some usable fantasy options. And, you know, I mean, I've written about this at, at Fantasy Guru that, you know, if you really look at the numbers between Heimer Candelera, who you mentioned, and Yohan Mankata since the start of last season, they're the same. Everyone talks about Yohan Mankata, and I understand why. I mean, of course, it's all, Heimer Candelera's numbers are the same. And that just goes to show you that you can, you know, and, and I think you can find production with any team. And we talk about this a lot. It doesn't guarantee big numbers, of course. It's not like football where someone's got to throw touchdown passes, right? But there, there can be guys that, you know, Robbie Grossman's the perfect example of a player that everyone looked at and was like, eh, um, you know, we knew he can get on base, but how much is he going to play? And he's just a guy. Well, he's played almost all the time. He's running more than ever before. And that's a fantasy useful guy that costs nothing in 2021. Yeah, none of these guys cost anything. And honestly, I don't know how much they're going to cost next season. None of them are stars, but they're solid contributors that you get late to kind of round out a roster. Now, I wonder, Ray, on the pitching side, do you see stardom for some of these guys? Mize, Scooble, uh, Matt Manning. I mean, they've all had their moments. Mize and Scooble are up to about 125 innings apiece. Uh, I don't know how much more we're really going to see of them this season. 
But I think they're the most exciting pieces is kind of on the pitching side with the Tigers. Yeah, Manning to me is a guy that I, I think everyone likes, but he might be more of a floor than ceiling guy. I, I'm a little distressed, to be honest with you. His lack of strikeouts here uh, in the early going is concerning. I mean, it's, you know, he's he's getting like strikeouts. Low five per nine. Yeah, it's like Dallas Keuchel's his hero. It's like, what ha- what the hell happened, Matt? Um, the other two guys, I think, I think Scooble brings the most strikeout potential, and we've seen that this year. He's been really good in that category. I think Casey Mize probably brings the the best overall package and the highest floor. I think that Scooble might have more dominance in him than Mize, but Mize is poised. He's got the pitch mix. You know, he, he's he he's shown it this year. You think uh, like SP four is going into next year? SP fives like because well, they'll be twenty five. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, they'll have you know 140, 150 innings, and so we'll kind of feel more better about them getting innings next season. I, yeah, I think they could be a solid for, you know, taking that next step. Yeah, it'll be really interesting here because the and I've written about this at Fantasy Guru too, that the the Tigers have signaled, you know, these three guys in particular, they're not starting every five days and they're not throwing 90 pitches the rest of the way, right? So they're really pulling back with an eye toward the future. There's always that thought, like if they if you know Casey Mice was 118 innings this year, right? Like how many innings are you gonna get to throw next year? That's that and because you know, do the Tigers win the division? Next year, eh, I should have said 124 innings, sorry. Um, you know, if he's at 100, let's say 140 innings when the season's over this year, can he throw 170 next year? Probably. I think they'd probably be comfortable with that. If he threw 170 innings and pitched like he can, which is basically like he has this year, is he an SP4? I think that's fair. So, yeah, I think Mines and Scooble, sure, Kyle. Manning, no. But the other two guys, I think, yes. So, Detroit, uh, at least some hope for the future. And, and we really haven't said that uh, very often. But a big moment on Sunday with Miguel Cabrera. Congrats to him and uh, to Detroit. Maybe with a hot run, you can finish 500. And that would surprise everybody if, if they got to 500 in the AL Central. Let's go to the two spot, Ray. And, you know, we ran through Miguel Cabrera and all the greatness uh, that he has had. You know, every year it seemed like he was a 300 hitter. You know, getting on base at like a 390, 400 clip and an OPS, you know, well above 900. And then I, I look at, okay, well, who's maybe the closest to Cabrera now? And Ray, I might have to settle on Freddie Freeman. Mm. And I wanted to give him a shout out. Um, this is a very quiet, perhaps MVP worthy season. And some of that is because of the NL competition. There, there's not a whole lot there. Like, you know, you, you have to kind of struggle to make a case for somebody with the Giants or with the Brewers. Um, you know, the Mets and the Phillies have fallen off. Uh, Cincinnati, maybe you can make a case for Castellanos, especially if the Reds make the postseason. Uh, the Dodgers are going to make the playoffs, but is anybody going to get MVP votes? Well, maybe Chris Taylor, maybe Max Muncy. Uh, the Padres are in such a huge slump that it's kind of difficult now to vote in Fernando Tatis. And then, Ray, while the Padres are slumming, Freeman and the Braves are just going crazy. And, you know, you wake up this morning and the guy leading the National League and runs scored is Freddie Freeman. Um, he's going to have another 30 home run season. Um, he's now creeping back towards 300 after a huge slump to start the year. He's playing every day. He leads the NL in total bases. He leads baseball and in intentional walks. And honestly, Ray, not only do I feel I don't hear much about him, but even on this show, we haven't talked much about Freddie Freeman. And the guy has been on a massive tear for the last two, two and a half months. Yeah. And it's so interesting. We haven't talked about him and I think that, you know, that's partly our fault. Sure. But I think it's also speaks to the fact that when he started slowly, you weren't concerned. I wasn't concerned. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the numbers are going to come around now. Did you, can you expect, this is kind of the, you know, the Luis Castillo on the Hill thing. When a guy starts out really slowly, it's like, how far can the numbers get? Can they get back to quote unquote normal? That's always an open debate. But if we had sit here, uh, you know, on June 1st and said, let's have a discussion about Freddie Freeman, we'd say, uh, I think he'll be that guy the rest of the way, right? And then it's a debate, how many home runs does he hit over the season and all that? Well, I mean, since the start of June, he's played 74 games. He's got 15 home runs, 59 runs scored, hitting 341, 400 Woba, 154. Weighted, he's, he's been a superstar. So yes. it, was, it was the slow star. And then he became a superstar, which in the end, puts his numbers exactly where we expect him to be so he well and, he, and you know i mentioned mvp right yeah. i mean you lose a cunha and ozuna yeah. and i was like they're done they're done their, their pitching was getting injured i'm not really sold when they're starting pitching to me freeman has proven he's the mvp because when those other like huge cogs left he, he just took off he's carried this team off and i know dansby swanson has 
absolutely had his moments in Ozzy Albies, but like to me, Freddie Freeman is a true MVP for picking up the slack when those other big cogs were knocked out of the lineup. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he has been tremendous as we're discussing. He, he's the complete hitter, you know, he doesn't run. And so he's not necessarily a complete fantasy player, but he's the complete hitter. He takes the walk. He never strikes out. He gives you batting average. He's in the league leaders and on base percentage, a slugging percentage is strong. You know, we talk about the advanced metrics, Woba and weighted runs. He is an elite hitter and he is as stable an offensive player as there is in the game. And I think the reason going back to your main point, Kyle, why we don't talk about him enough is, you know, he, he steals five, six, seven bases. He doesn't run, you know, so he just falls behind those other players in terms of excitement. Like if anyone, if you said Fernando Tatis or Freddie Freeman, Everyone say Fernando Tatis, right? Freddie Freeman is a better offensive player. He's a better hitter. He's a better defender, but he doesn't produce more in the fantasy game. So it's one of those things where I think he's a little, he's kind of in that Joey Votto zone. Back when Votto was in his heyday too, it's like, these guys are so good, but they just don't do quite enough extra to really stand out in the fantasy game. Yeah, it doesn't really show up the way we score it. Um, he is more than likely headed for his uh, fourth career top five MVP vote at the finish. I remember last season he won it, so he could very easily have back-to-back MVP seasons. And what's kind of wild about him, Ray, and maybe this is an unfortunate comparison to Miguel Cabrera, uh, he's a free agent at the end of the year. This is his age 31 season. Now, there's no signs of slowdown here. The guy's been a monster for eight, nine years. A lot like Cabrera was, Ray, when Detroit re-signed him. And you were just talking about the contract. I, I, I kind of think Freeman's staying in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They've got a ton of money. They, they can absolutely afford him. You remember they got those sweetheart deals uh, with Albies and Acuna? Yep. Like, so they're sitting pretty. There's really no reason for Atlanta not to fork over all sorts of money, but you start to think about this, Ray, and we're probably looking at a contract well over 200 million bucks, maybe 250, depending on how long it is for Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, I hate to say it, and, and hey, it's six, seven years down the road, but <laughs> unfortunately, Freddie Freeman may be a little too close to Miguel Cabrera come his late 30s. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, obviously, for the foreseeable future, short term, no concern whatsoever, done, zero. But in five years, we'll probably start to see some wear. And, and if it's longer than that, if it's a six, seven, eight-year deal, as it very well could be, especially to keep Freeman in Atlanta, where he would then play his entire career, you would figure. Ugh. And so, you know, it, it, it's, the, it's the nature of baseball. We'll see in the new CBA that will be hammered out yeah. this year if things change. But oh, you're is, that confident, huh? It's oh, going to be hammered out. <laughs> I said, we'll see. Yeah, if I was more awake and it wasn't 8.15 in the morning on the West Coast, I'd probably be like, there's no way in hell it's good. But um, we'll we'll see if they ad- see if they at least address this because you know players get paid really for what they did versus what they're doing, but that's the game we're playing right now. And you're right, Freeman. Um, they're they're going to want to keep him there. The fans are going to want him there. And it, you know, as much as it's about Albies and Acuna and all these, I mean, really, isn't Freeman kind of the face, even with the greatness of a Ronald yeah. Acuna? Yeah, he's just been there for so long. You know, you go back to the start of the season, and remember we talked about how first base was so weak. Um, Ray, it's kind of played out to an extent. Uh, you know, Freddie Freeman was the first first baseman off the charts, and so he's obviously lived up. Obviously, Vlad Guerrero has taken off. Those two guys have been hits, but, you know, Bellinger has been a mess. LeMahieu way down. I guess Jose Abreu's been fine. You know, pretty well what's expected, but you go to, like, Pete Alonzo, Keston Ura, Luke Voigt, um, Anthony Rizzo, Alec Bohm, who we're going to talk about coming up a bit later. A lot of guys at first base have, have really not come through. So the expectation of weakness at that position, um, that, that's one thing we got right coming into the season that uh, here at the end of August, we can look at and say, yeah, pretty close to, to what we expected. But, you know, the surprise is like Bellinger and LeMahieu just, you know, those are two and three off the board mm-hmm. at first base. And those guys have both failed. Yeah. DJ LeMahieu, I think there was always the concern, obviously, right, that there'd be a pullback, not anywhere near this level. So he he has been disappointing period the bellinger thing though in my mind is like catastrophic because you know in the case of lemayhu you were drafting him and you're i mean if you were being smart you're expecting 23 home runs you know you weren't expecting 30 like so i think the the expectations were muted a little bit in the case of bellinger everyone was expecting 30 home runs yeah like mvp numbers yeah everyone was expecting at least 10 steals if not you know 14 15 right everyone was expecting him to hit 275 and and you know go 120 
in the RBI column and 110 in the run scored column. And he's been a vacuous waste of space. Yeah. 174 is his average. Yeah. (laughs) The highlight of his season might be that he hit that golf ball the other day to get the number one pick in the NFL and the fantasy football draft (laughs) Dodgers are doing. Do you see that? I mean, it's, and and you know what the the thing that's most concerning, and we've talked about Bellinger before, is it, and I know this year there's been multiple injuries. So you have to factor that in somewhat, but he seemingly changes his batting stance every year. He's, he's standing up right, then he's bending down a little bit. His hands are high, his hands are low. He's tweaking it. There's been periods of times where he's hit, he's been a 300 hitter for two months. There's been periods of times where he's been a 40 home run hitter for two months. Like I, there's constant tinkering here. And this year, the walk rate's never been worse. The strikeout rate's never been worse. And all of that is, is really, it's just, his OPS is 594. <laughs> I mean, Madison Bumgarner. Well, Ray, like you get that Dodgers lineup every day, and now he's hitting eighth in some of these lineups it, and, he, and, and quite frankly it might be bench if they were doing it based on performance and not on who you are because this performance has been dreadful and it's not just this year and that's the really concerning part we're talking 122 games of the former fantasy star hitting 205 with a 687 ops he has not even sniffed average not even average Going on two years, it's a, it's a season of games, but it's two years. That is extremely concerning for people that are looking to hold him in Keeper and Dynasty setups. Yeah, Keeper and Dynasty. I mean, what's the case for him? It's Well, he did it two years ago. Like, I've, I've seen what he can do then, and that's a really difficult decision is what to do with Bellinger coming into the offseason. And there might even be people right now, we, we were talking about the stretch run race, especially in these Keeper leagues, where hey, I don't have many keepers. Maybe I go out and make an offer on Cody Bellinger. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you like that idea, but for, for somebody whose team is just depleted, this is maybe an opportunity to get a guy who has shown superstardom before to get him on the cheap. Um, it, it's kind of one of those deadline deals where you're trading away maybe some talent uh, that can help somebody get over the top and they'll maybe give you Cody Bellinger. And then you've got your fifth keeper for next season. That's something at least that you can look at if your league's trading deadline hasn't come and gone. Absolutely. You know, they're that team's in first place and they're second place. They're hanging on. They got Cody Bellinger starting every day. Hey guys. Hey gals. Here you go. Hey, what do you think? Carlos Correa or whatever it is. Jake Cronin. I mean, just whatever it is that, that extra piece to put that person over the top. And a lot of people, you know, have different views on this. Some people will look at Cody Bellinger and see the all-star. They'll see the MVP candidate and they'll say to your trade offer, go to hell. (laughs) <laughs> other people, will, but other people will see this and be like, look, this guy has not been very good for two years. I'm, you know, two points out of first place this year. I think I can win. Let's do it. So yeah. it's certainly worth looking into. Well, I hope that uh, come say, I don't know, five years from now, we're not uh, invoking the name of Gregory Polanco when we talk Cody Bellinger. Um, and that leads us to our three hole. Ray Polanco never got to the level of Cabrera, never got to the level of Freeman. Never got to the level of Bellinger. But how about the news that Pittsburgh was just so out on Gregory Polanco that on Sunday they just gave him outright waivers. They told him to walk the plank, if you will. And <laughs> dare you. He's, he's out there. He's available. And, and I bring it up, Ray, because his career has just been a massive letdown. Um, I guess you can make the case there were at least a couple of really good seasons. Mm-hmm. But then injuries caught up to him, ineffectiveness. Like the last three years, the guy's been useless. Um, I know a lot of people thought Polanco had looked so good in spring training this year and was going to rebound going into his free agency year. It's pretty dramatic. And, and for those who weren't around, say, in 2014 or 15, right when this guy was called up, he, he was ticketed for all sorts of all-star games. Um, you know, was going to be a, a centerpiece of Pittsburgh kind of moving on from McCutcheon. And now Polanco would be that new franchise piece. There are no all-star boat berths. There are no awards here. It's just a bunch of nothing. And it's not that he's a pitiful ball player, but Ray, the expectations game was this guy will be an all-star and he hasn't come close really throughout his career. He was supposed to, like you said, he was supposed to be the new, the, the newer next McCutcheon. He was never going to get on base like McCutcheon did, but the overall production was supposed to be similar. And I, I will admit that, you know, I was right a couple of times on Polanco because he had a couple of nice seasons, as you mentioned, but for the majority of the time, myself, as well as everyone else in the fantasy game was wrong. Cause it just hasn't happened. At least like you're saying 
I, you and I said before the season began, hell no, like, no, we're not, we're not, I'm not buying it anymore. Like that ship has sailed for me with Polanco. Um, but it's fascinating because he's a big guy. As you noted, there's, there's really no skills that he doesn't, or at least at one time didn't possess. I mean, if you look back before 2014, baseball prospectus has him as the 24th best prospect in baseball. MLB pipeline had him 13 baseball America had him 10. Okay. Not in the outfield, not with the pirates in all of baseball. This guy was looked at as an elite prospect. And while you can pick out good seasons and why you could say, look, this guy had 22 homers once he had 27 steals at one time, you know, he, he had 83 runs, 86 RBIs for his career, Kyle, first 162 games, it's 1919 it's power and speed, but overall he just hasn't got there. The batting average has never been there. He's never learned to take a walk and injuries I think have crushed the skill set to the point, like you're saying that he's walking the plank. He has 14 steals this year, which I, I will tell you this, that is just outside the top 20 in baseball for stolen bases. Uh, but, Ray, everything else is so bad, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, it, it, sure, stolen bases, and we always make this argument, oh, but he gets steals. I mean, in the case of Gregory Polanco, it's like, who cares that he's getting the 14 steals? I think I wrote that this uh, last week at Fantasy Guru. because I pointed out, I said, look, uh, you know, I mean, and then I think I might have also written that that goes to show you that maybe we should not be using steals, something to consider for next season. I mean, if you're rostering Polanco because of the steals, like you said, right, boy, we got to do something different because that guy's is just terrible. But uh, the running is there. I obviously we'll see. They claimed that they did this so he could finish with the you know the season with the team that has a chance to win. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a salary drop or whatever. But um, it's possible that no one picks him up. And that he stays with the Pirates. But, uh, yeah, his career being at a crossroads, uh, obviously that's uh, pretty legit. Yeah, he'll probably get a shot somewhere because he's a free agent and somebody will take a shot on, oh, we can fix him. But, uh, man, it just kind of seems like the boat has sailed on uh, what figured to be a really strong career. Let's go from three to four. And speaking of the waiver wire, Polanco's on the real-life one. Um, every Monday we like to check in on the waiver wire in our Sirius XM host league. Uh, Ray and myself are both in that league and we're having a good back and forth uh, near the top of the standings. So uh, I'm trying to chase down Ray. I'm getting closer. Uh, but Ray, you're still making moves and, and spending money. I noticed uh, this morning uh, you picked up a couple of Kansas City Royals pitchers. Uh, Daniel Lynch and Carlos Hernandez for $23 in total. Uh, you must be looking for wins or something, huh? Yeah, I am. Uh the way this league played out, we ended up um, having our starting pitchers just injuries everywhere. And so as a result, we're toward the bottom. We're second from the bottom in strikeouts, which is not a normal scenario for me. Uh, and we're five wins away from Jim Bowden making it, making a move there. So we're looking to, we're looking to add a little bit in the, the oomph in the pitching column uh, in the starting pitching market. So we've made a lot of moves of late to basically decimate our bullpen. Um, because this is a league where we can change lineups on a daily basis. So uh, we've got starting pitching up the wazoo right now. We've got, I mean, Michael Kopech's a floater, right? Uh, Anthony Bender's a reliever. And then it's starting pitcher Rama here. So we're, we're going to rack up some innings here down the stretch, Kyle. Uh, and, and those two guys are going to be part of it. You know, I'm kind of doing the same thing. And I picked up my pitchers, you know, in the previous month or so to kind of roll with. And so... Every day I'm looking at my probables and, and Ray, I think this goes for a lot of people when you're trying to maybe gain two or three points and you can kind of do it with wins. For me, I've got a ton of options, but I'm not rolling everybody out there for every start. Um, I, I really do pay attention to, well, I, I could get the win, but is that going to hurt me more in whip and ERA? Mm -hmm. um, sure, I could get the strikeouts, but am I really going to blow up? Maybe, you know, he gets five strikeouts in four innings, but if he gives up eight runs, who the heck cares? Like, I'm still looking at, at pitching pairings and matchups and still benching guys, even though uh, the wins are necessary. Now, I've got a low, I've got Burns, Gonzalez, um, let's see, Ronaldo Lopez, Stroman, Ian Anderson, Gonsolin, Josiah Gray, Merrill Kelly, Tyler Molly, Ross Stripling, Ryan Weathers, James Caprolon. I like, I got guys everywhere, Ray, kind of what you're doing but I'm still kind of picking and choosing right now when to start those guys. I am too. Like as an example, we had a Daniel Lynch. I'm not starting him today in that, in, in this, that league, I am in another league, but against the Astros. Yeah. So I think you still have to be smart about it. And it, it is really fun for me at this point of the season, especially when we're talking about adding these guys at such a low price point, right. That we're trying to find matchups. We're trying to find it. And we're okay with saying, I'll add this guy for maybe one or two starts. Maybe I'll start him once 
he's got two starts this week. I'm only going to use him once. I'll, I'll throw him for next start next week. So I think it's fun to do that and look at it. But you do have to be cautious because you don't want to get so blinded by, oh, I'm trying to get a win or oh, I'm trying to get a strikeout that then you, you're rolling all these guys out there and you drop two points in the ERA category, which wipes out the two points you gained in the strikeout column. So it is a battle that you have to wage trying to figure out where is this all actually going to end up. Elsewhere on the waiver wire in that league, uh, man, let's just keep the Royals love going. Nikki Lopez picked up and Ray, this, um, well, I'll, I'll just say it bad joke, but kind of a steal on Nikki Lopez, bad who joke. is yeah, yeah. feeling like crazy mm-hmm. um, of late. If, if people are looking for stolen bases, Ray, they need to be looking at Nikki Lopez, who I, I think just this month has 10 stolen bases. That's in 19 games. Um, he's hitting 280. You know, there's, there's not home runs or RBIs or any of that. But it's kind of the pure steals play. If people think a stolen base guy can can lift them up in the in the roto rankings, Nicky Lopez is a must add right now. Yeah, don't you hate it? And this is you know what are you going to do, right? I mean, I don't know how it was a better way to handle it, but I'm in the uh, labor league, and uh, somehow I'm in first place despite losing Acuna and Bregman for all that time. But um, I I tied someone else with Lopez this week for the addition. And I'm in first place. So I lost out and it's like, damn it. Uh, yeah. It's like, damn it. You know? So, um, but yeah, he's Lopez has been, and, and this is interesting. I've looked at him. I've written about him a little bit, but I've looked at him for about two months in various setups because it's, he's hit really well. I mean, the last month he's hitting 315. Um, he's got, you know, 12 runs scored 11 RBIs in 25 games, which isn't great. But if you start you know, looking at this and saying, he's going to hit 300 with 75 RB 75 runs scored and 75 RBIs. It's like, okay, he qualifies at second shortstop yeah i really like that and then you add in the speed where he's not gregory polanco there is a bat backing up this he's hitting 440 the last week um you start getting excited now there's no power so i mean this is a very much a skill set in the mold of nick madrigal right but nicky lopez coming up through the minors he's this guy one of these guys has taken a long time to find his game but we always thought he could steal 20 bases we always thought he'd be a 280 plus hitter because he really could take a walk and understood the strike zone it just took them a lot longer than we had hoped to get there, Kyle. And Kansas City embraces the the theft. So, Ray, they're probably going to continue to let him run. Yeah. So it's it's well. not like this is a flash in a pan for, for three weeks. If he's able to get on base, he, he could have another 10 stolen bases between now and the end of the season. He could. Um, I saw a, a local, a national media market suggest that, um, you know, Whit Merrifield's going to steal 13 bases the rest of the way to get 50, which seems a little high. But um, it is true that the Royals will continue to run. And in the case of Lopez, that, you know, I've also had some people say, well, what Adalberto Mondesi comes back. He's hitting 440 the last week and 315 the last month. And he's hitting like 300 the last two months. I really struggled to see Nicky Lopez going to the bench because Adalberto Mondesi may at some point in his life ever get back on a major league diamond. <laughs> yeah, let's not, let's not uh, count that chicken before the egg hatches when it comes to Mondesi. Not at all. Uh, let's move to the five spot. And uh, this guy is no longer on waiver wires, but he probably was two months ago, maybe even a month ago. But Ray, it's player profile time. And I thought we'd give a little bit of attention to Ahmed Rosario of the Cleveland Indians last night in that uh, Little League special. Uh, Rosario kind of stepped up and showcased his skill set on Sunday Night Baseball. And Ray, it's a reminder of what he's done this year. Um, you know, it's kind of like some of the Detroit stuff. It's not a superstar turn or anything. But maybe Rosario, who was almost seen as washed up, kind of a throw-in with that deal on on uh, Francisco Lindor. Ray Rosario's had a good first season with Cleveland, and I think he's restored some of that shine to his overall game and kind of what we can expect in the next year or two. Yeah, and the interesting thing now is that I think in almost every league he qualifies in the outfield too. So he's got shortstop and outfield eligibility, which is rare. We don't normally see infield outfield, certainly not shortstop. Um, so th- let's hope, by the way, that he gets two more games to get to 20. I know that a lot of leagues go 15 or even 10 now, but he's at 18 in the outfield. Um, but his bat has really been on fire. And there are still concerns here because the walk to strikeout ratio is still really bad. He still strikes out too much for a guy that you know doesn't have tremendous amounts of power. But he reworked his swing in the offseason. I think it took him some time early in the year to finally get his groove with the swing. He obviously was with the new team as well. They had him in the outfield. They put him at, you know, they, they, there were a lot of moving pieces here. But once he settled in, he's been very good. He's 13 for his last 27 with seven runs scored in six games. So he's blazing hot the last week, which is great because I added him in the league two weeks ago. 
Um, two weeks, the last two weeks, he's hitting 418. The last th- three weeks, he's hitting 388. So he is absolutely smoking hot right now, playing every day with that dual position eligibility. He's rocking it. Well, and, and you mentioned the walks and the Ks. Um, they, they aren't good. I'm not going to say that. But, Ray, they're at career best mm-hmm. right now. His, his best walk percentage is 5.4. That's this year. His mm-hmm. best – well, I shouldn't say his K rate is the best. I guess two years ago he was at 18.9, but he's at 19.7 this year. The ISO looks good. Now, his Babbitt, people may say, well, it's a 350 Babbitt. But, Ray, it's worth noting, and I didn't know this until I looked it up, every single year, even in the bad years, uh, Ahmed Rosario's had a Babbitt well over 300. Like, you know, he, he's mm-hmm. just one of those guys who maybe is just going to be a 325 Babbitt throughout his career. Yeah, and a lot of that goes to his style of hitting the baseball. If you look at his career, he's exactly 50% in the ground ball rate, and he's fast. Right. I mean, that's you put more balls in play. You give yourself the the grounders and line drives obviously have a higher batting average of balls in play than fly balls. He doesn't hit the fly ball. Twenty nine percent number there in that category, which is league average, about thirty six percent. So he's way below league average in the fly ball rate. That's why he's never going to be a home run guy, but he's way below there. Hits a lot of balls in the ground. He runs really fast. So those type of hitters, just as a general rule, without you know diving more deeply into them. Those type of hitters do usually have the opportunity, at least, to produce a higher batting average of balls in play on a consistent basis. Yeah, and in terms of his future and his value, um, you know, here comes stolen bases again. He has 12, so that's that's a nice little bonus. Um, I don't think you're ever going to have big home runs or ribby numbers. Now, he can maybe get some decent runs. Like this year, he may get over 80 um, in the runs scored category, so that'd be really nice. And like I said, if he got 15 stolen bases and managed to hit 285, that's playable. What, what that all turns out to, Ray, is kind of that special piece that I think all fantasy teams need is, you know, a guy that, like you said, can be used in the infield and the outfield and is good enough at most spots. Not a superstar again, but Rosario would be a guy that, you know, next season, maybe you get him in the 18th, 19th round, kind of the last guy, the utility guy. Maybe he's just somebody on and off your bench throughout the season. But I, I think coming into this year, he went undrafted in, in many formats. I think next year, we don't have to worry about that. I think that's very fair. Yeah. And, you know, there, there still could be, I mean, because his approach, like you say, and it's for him, like career best, he walked four times last year. So, okay. But <laughs> um, he still has that approach that is risky. You know, it's the, yeah. it's the Javier Baez type of game where there's more strikeouts than you want, not enough patience to play. They'll expand the strike zone. So there can still be periods of time where he might hit 220 for three weeks. So. He does require some patience, but he is and has been one of the better young offensive players for the fantasy game below the tier of stardom. He's been that guy before, and it looks like he's that guy again. From the five spot to the six spot in our starting nine, some news and notes. And we just mentioned Francisco Lindor. Uh, looks like he's going to be activated on Tuesday. Uh, let's hope that oblique is 100%. I kind of doubt that it is, but the Mets need something right now. They, they, they aren't getting DeGrom back anytime soon. And they're really falling out of the race in the NLE. So we'll see a Lindor um, semi-quick return, I think, for Lindor. It has not been a quick return, Ray, for Alex Bregman or Mike Trout. Uh, those guys have missed a majority of the season, but I guess we'll call it positive news. Uh, Bregman has started his rehab assignment, and Trout says he's close <laughs> to beginning his rehab assignment. I, You know, the, the Astros want Bregman back, so I think we could see him by the end of the week. With Trout, okay, it's good to hear that you're close, but I still don't know if that gives us a return date. Yeah, I think with, with Bregman, wasn't it? It might have been John Heyman that said he's going to be back on Tuesday, I think. That'd be quick. And uh, they asked Bregman about it, and he said, that's news to me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that, you know, and we run into this all the time where, you know, guys are down with injury and teams try to get him back like in three days. It's like... <laughs> Bregman's had setbacks. He's missed all the time. You're going to give him like four at-bats. Let's bring him to the – that's a bad idea. So I, I agree with you. I think that toward the end of the week is possible with Bregman, provided, of course, there's not any more setbacks because, you know, and he's on a bunch of my team. So, Alex, get back out there. Uh, the Trout thing, again, I mean, six, eight weeks, we're at what, week 15? Or is it 14? I might be week 14. It's <laughs> taken forever. I can't believe you're still counting. <laughs> I, I did it last week. That's why. But, yeah, it's like, wow. And – I mean, this is just a killer. I mean, I, I would, I fully expect when Mike Trout returns that he still hits like Mike Trout. Like I really, I think he's got a smooth, he's number one immensely off out of this world talented. Number two, he's got a very compact and consistent swing. So I think he can pick up very quickly. Right. But at the same time, there's just so much damn time missed here and we don't have a target date. It's so frustrating. I bet he comes back in DHs. 
for that team. I, I don't know if they'll push him in the outfield, you know, because well, of the, the, the calf injury and just kind of a fear. And, hey, I know you still have to run, but, you know, you can lessen the opportunity for a re-injury if you don't have him in the field. So well, let me ask you this, though. I mean, it's a muscle issue, and we've talked about muscle issues forever. And, okay, you know, if, if it's really six to eight weeks, and I think that's – for a muscle pull, that seems very fair to me. Do you have any sense of why it's taken twice as long? Like it had to be a tear and they didn't tell us. I mean, and I've always wondered, Ray, and I've brought this up, especially with football. It's like, you know, and, and in the preseason, you'll hear this. You never want to tell your teammates, oh, hey, our superstar player is done for the next three months because it just deflates the whole room. And, and I wonder if they just said, oh, no, it's going to be six, eight weeks. And, and that keeps the spirits up. It sounds like little league junk. Like you, you would make that statement knowing he's going to miss three months. I guess he's just been a slow healer and this kind of speaks to age. I mean, Mike Trout's a superstar. We know it, but the healing has been slow here. And I, I would bet my bottom dollar that if he had this injury at the age of 20, maybe he's already back. But as you near 30, um, you know, the body just takes longer to heal. And it's something, you know, we all know that age affects a guy, but I feel like so often, Ray, people don't understand that it affects healing for guys as they get older too. The way they heal when they're 21 is not the way they heal when they're 29 even. Yeah, that's true. And, and everyone heals differently. Uh, and, you know, when we are taking I mean, we we always uh, I say this all the time. We expect the injury prognosis to be the gospel. And it's just not. Yeah. You know, it's if everything went right, six to eight weeks, legit. I'm just saying that, it, you know, it's one thing to say six to eight weeks and have it be eight or nine to have it be this long. It's like I wonder and we may never know. Maybe it was what you suggested. Maybe there was a significant setback we weren't told about. It just seems weird that it's so far out because that's a really for not a broken bone or a torn you know ligament for just a muscle. That's a really bad overshoot in terms of the time he's missed. Elsewhere on the uh, news and notes side, we were talking about Miguel Cabrera earlier in the podcast reaching 500. The next guy who could reach 500 might be Nelson Cruz, but he's not going to do it probably for most of this week. Uh, not going to at least make an impact on getting closer to 500. Uh, he has landed on the COVID list. Now that doesn't mean 10, 15 days anymore. I mean, there could be just some contact tracing. Maybe it was a false positive, who knows, but uh, Cruz probably going to miss at least a couple of days. And then we'll just have to see how the testing goes with Tampa. Desclafani in San Francisco has had a good year ankle injury. He's on the IL. Eduardo Escobar, who uh, has done very well with the Brewers since coming over from Arizona, he's likely going to miss some time with a hamstring injury. In fact, the Brewers are going to send him for an MRI. So it looks like an IL stint is uh, almost definite with Escobar. And then finally, Ray, Alec Bohm. Gotten so bad for Alec Bohm in year number two that the Phillies finally kind of threw in the towel in 2021 and they sent him back to AAA. Uh, that is a big, big fall for a guy that coming into this year, I certainly liked. I, I remember the question of Cabrian Hayes or Alec Bohm. And I said, give me Alec Bohm. He, he was still my guy coming into this year. Um, Hayes is back and playing and has been okay. Uh, but Bohm has just been bad for most of this season. 684 OPS for Hayes is not that good either. Um, okay, it's okay. But he missed, what, two months? Yeah, he, he did. He was in. I still think that wrist is probably affecting him. Very too. possible. Um but the, the, the takeaway is both these guys have sucked. I mean, that's, you know, and, and I, I don't get surprised by these things. I know you don't get surprised by this in a grand scheme because we have this expectation that, you know, when the players come up, that when they have a good, you know, short burst, that, that means everything's fine. It's not. We talk about it forever. It's a game of adjustments. And when you're Alec Bohm or Brian Hayes and you're, you know, the best guy who's ever, ever been seen by any person in your life until you're at least 20 years old, you know, making adjustments is, is not something you necessarily had to do at an elite level. At the major league level, you have to do that. Even when these guys are in the minors, they're dominating guys that are just hanging on to trying to be a professional. You know what I mean? So you see Baum come up last year and, you know, he's a big guy. And I was impressed last year, not by the, the batting average or anything like that. I was impressed by his ability at 6'5", 220 to not strike out. You know, because you would think with the long levers and everything, but no, he did a great job making contact. And while that number slipped this year, 27% strikeout rate's not terrible. So it's not like, you know, he stepped way back. It's just, there was going to be a leveling off. We were talking about batting average of balls in play earlier, and this is, you know, batting average of balls in play warning 7,086. <laughs> the mark was 410 last year. Like, I just, you know, you don't have to, and, and this is stupid because it's not simple like that. It's not. But when the number's that big, it is. It's not possible to have a 410 mark over the course of a season. So this year, the mark falls back to 320. 
Still got excellent 350 for his career, right? We were just talking about this. His hard hit rate is actually up from last year. His exit velocity is actually up from last year. So there, there's still signs here. Um, I just think that it was so amazing last year, and it's been so down this year, that even the Phillies themselves, I mean, they're seeing things we're not, okay? But through 155 games, I look at his production, and I think it's solid. I would have liked to see a little bit more power, Kyle, but yeah. a 270 average, 70 runs, 70 RBIs. I think the real issue with Baum is he's a butcher defensively. He's absolutely horrible with the glove. And I don't know what they're going to do about that. Yeah, that's that's really the issue. I still think Bohm has a future in this organization, and I think he's still a starter going into next year. But you're totally right. I mean, they've gotten a good year out of nowhere from Ronald Torres. Uh, and so they're kind of just rolling with that. And like you said, defensively, Torres runs circles around Alec Bohm. Um, they could try him at first base, but you kind of got Reese Hoskins there. Um, so we'll just have to see what they do in the offseason. They may, you know, finagle things around, and maybe the outfield looks a little different, the infield. But it's another disappointing year, I think, for the Phillies, who, what, just two weeks ago, they finally got into first place. Looked like they were going to really tear it up and get into October, and then they've just fallen flat, and the Braves have been red hot. And so the Braves are running away from both the Mets and the Phillies, and uh, things are bad again for the Phillies. They'll go into another offseason of probably tinkering, and that will include tinkering with Alec Bone. Let's go to the seven hole in our starting nine. It's a chance to check in on Rob Pobia's weekly planner column. It's up over at fantasyguru.com. We like to highlight a few things in there. I'll tell you this, um, Atlanta, and Rob brings this up in the article, right? The Braves uh, have back-to-back off days in the middle of the week this week. They're off on Wednesday and Thursday, which is crazy. Why? And then the, Angel- <laughs> the Angels and the Padres, they don't play on Sunday. They have a a Sunday off in late August. So those are a couple of things, Ray, that caught my eye is the schedule. And and you'll see this every week, but those are like five game schedules and they're going to be angry people. They want Freddie Freeman in their lineup on Wednesday and Thursday, back-to-back off days for the Braves. Kind of nutty. Yeah. Well, who doesn't play on Sundays? I think that's even, (laughs) they're both bizarre. I mean, the only time you have two days off in a row is when there's a weather component or, you know, some Talk kind about, of that's a huge edge isn't it absolutely at this point in the season with bullpens and like you know in effect you get almost three full days off because i'm guessing they then play friday night obviously so like you you play your game tuesday night you're off wednesday you're off thursday and you don't play again until friday night it's like literally ray almost three days off for yeah. The yeah and it's it's not good in the fantasy game right because you lose the game played and all that but if we're looking for, you know, last month plus down the stretch here, it is a very nice advantage, especially for those bullpens and just for the minor bumps and bruises. Cause you know, we, you're, these guys are dealing with stuff. Let's just be honest. They're dealing with stuff and, you know, having the opportunity to just not sit on the couch. Cause that's not what they're going to do, but not to exert yourself could be a really nice boost for them in the long term. Rob has a um, bit of his piece rate devoted to Brandon Woodruff. And I don't know if you got a chance to read through it or take a look at it. Woodruff is an NL Cy Young candidate, no doubt. Uh, but Ray, there, there's a little bit of a, of a hiccup here going on with Woodruff, um, where he's been so good this year, but he hasn't maybe looked the same um, the last couple of times out. And then we saw Freddie Peralta go on the IL. Um, this was kind of the wonder with, with the Brewers all season. They're great if they can keep these three guys going. But as we've wondered about from time to time, innings are going to creep up on all these guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a distinct pullback on Woodruff, uh, obviously Peralta being on the IL, but even Corbin Burns, they've got a, a fairly strong lead in the NL Central. Uh, they are still competing for the number one overall seed in the National League. So I don't think they're going to bench guys or just outright throw them on the IL. But, Ray, we're now to the point where what we wondered about in May and June is kind of coming to fruition with the Brewers. Peralta's injured. And you look at Woodruff, and as Rob brings up in the article, he's kind of been a different pitcher, and it hasn't really worked the last two times out. Yeah, I know, because I have him in multiple weeks. Um, it, it's, you know, Eric Lauer and Brett Anderson, come on down. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's a long season. And you know, especially for these guys. And we have talked about it forever. You know, how many innings did they throw last year? How many pitches did they throw? How's it going to affect guys? We can talk about it in a global sense. We, you know, each individual player is different. Maybe some guys will wear down and lose velocity. Some will lose location. Some guys will push through it. Some guys will get injured. I mean, we just, you don't know. 
And, you know, Peralta, they're saying all the right things with Peralta. You know, saw him be interviewed. He said he's fine. He didn't want to go on the injured list. Okay, we'll see. Now you've got Woodruff. And, you know, it, it's something that I've mentioned repeatedly about keep pushing when we talk pitching because you're not set on pitching. You know, everyone thinks I'm good or you're not good. We don't know how, especially down the stretch, how teams are going to handle this. You know, if the Brewers, you know, start winning games, are they going to try to win, you know, win, win, win? Are they just going to make the playoffs? You know, other teams, are they going to make decisions based upon the standings? You know, we're only getting two extra players called up in September, only 28 versus the 40 we used to get. So we're not going to see a huge influx of youngsters, but that doesn't mean teams aren't going to call guys up and, you know, spot start them and all that. So, you know, with Woodruff, I don't know how you take him out of your lineup. I just, I, you know, I, I, he's in my lineups this week, yeah. but it is something to keep an eye on. Yeah, you can't really bench him, but don't be surprised if there's a start skipped here. If there's maybe a four inning outing here, you don't get that win. Certainly possible. Uh, check out more on Woodruff and Rob Povia's weekly planner column. It's up right now at fantasyguru.com. A lot of stuff up there. Uh, Vlad Sedler has the waiver wire piece. Ray's got his ramblings pretty well going up every day. So check out all that good stuff. We now move to the eight hole. And that means we are moving to the random reference. Um, I guess this is one of the more fun parts of what we do here on the uh, Baseball Elite Podcast, where we go over to baseballreference.com and we just click on the random page link and we kind of see what we get. And we like to have guys we've actually heard of. So um, we we don't like to go back to like 1910 or anything. I might have heard of them. Yeah. Well, and I've heard of this guy, Ray. I clicked once and, and here we go. Pedro Borbone. Ooh. Pedro Borbone. Kind of kind of that bounce around reliever that uh, was always solid. I, I don't know if you'd ever call him a great reliever, but Ray, it always seemed like Pedro Borbone was um, pitching in the postseason, right? You know, it always seems like he was out there somehow, some way. Started with Atlanta. He kind of had injuries, got to the Dodgers, the Blue Jays, the Astros. Career ended in 03 with the St. Louis Cardinals. And it's always wild. You know, he pitches nine seasons in baseball. He throws 368 games, but only 271 innings. So, so, you know, he appears 368 times, 271 innings. And the big reason why Ray, he was that prototypical bring in the lefty to face the lefty. That was Pedro Bourbon. Yeah. And it's really interesting too. He does all that work, the 368 games, six saves in his career. Okay, so again, like you're saying, it was matchup guy. It wasn't that he was working the ninth inning. 16 and 16, so perfectly 500. So I, I guess more often than not, he helped his team, despite the fact that he had a 1-4-5 whip and a 1-7 <laughs> strikeout the walk ratio. These are not good numbers, but the moral of the story is if you have a kid that's ambidextrous and they're, they're four years old, tie that right arm down and <laughs> go left-handed. Um, it's a huge advantage. It's, it's, it, there, there will always be a need, and I know the rules have changed a little bit. Okay, okay. So we don't necessarily going to, we're not necessarily, excuse me, going to see a lot of these guys throwing, you know, 70 outings and, and throwing 48 innings anymore. Um, but you look at that with him. He had, he had three seasons of 70 games pitched and his highest innings pitch total was 53 innings, Cal. Different yeah. era. Well, and, and to talk about the righty lefty things, right-handers hit 300 on him with a 900 OPS. Left hand, this for the career, left-handers hit 200 with a 628 OPS. So again, prototypical lefty on lefty kind of guy, the loogie, if you will. Mm. Um, Ray, that reminds me, the impact of that rule, which kind of eliminated loogies like like Pedro Borbone, you know, now we've got the standard of you must face three batters. I haven't crunched the numbers. I know some people did coming into this year, but that was based off a 60-game slate. I'll be interested at the end of the season to see what kind of effect we can maybe pull out of that new ruling that has forced relievers and managers to keep a guy out there for three. Yeah, years. absolutely agree. Yeah. It, and I think it, it obviously does change the, the equation. Uh, I haven't seen an analysis of it to, to see, but I agree with you. It's something to definitely look into after the season. And uh, you know, I, as I've said, we have to re redo the way we look at relievers. Right. And that's part of what we do at elitesportsdata.com where we've got the, the Burr report and we're looking at bullpens with the smash report and all that. We're, we're trying to push this, this envelope forward in terms of analysis. And I think that that's something we need to do in the fantasy game because baseball is changing, right? They made these, this new rule change that you're talking about here. I think we should reassess how we handle those relievers too. Let's go to the nine spot in the 
Baseball Elite Podcast. Uh, Ray, stamp of approval. That's how we like to close it down each and every week here on the cast. What's getting your stamp of approval today? I got to go to the beach this weekend, and uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Baseball Guys. They can follow me on Instagram at the Ray Flowers. And if you go to at the Ray Flowers, you'll see a picture of me and my my dog Ollie. And um, Ollie is is got some black in his fur. He's an Australian Shepherd, but he's white. You look at that picture. The only part of his body that's white is his face. He looks like a different dog. Okay, he's a junkyard dog. He goes to the beach, rolls around, gets in everything. So my stamp of approval is a the puppy cleaning spots. Those stations where you don't have to go in your bathtub or your shower and get all the sand off and ruin your pipes. You go to the store, you go to the shop, you go to the, the groomer, whatever it might be. You get the hose, you hose your puppy down, you clean them up, make them look nice and pretty, bring them home nice and clean. You know, I've never, I've got some uh, relatives right around these parts that they have the puppy people come to them. Uh, we don't do that. Yeah, that's that kind of seems silly, but I guess it's a thing. Like the van drives up and they haul your dog in there and they yep. just clean them right there in the in the van, I guess. I don't know where everything goes, though, in that van. <laughs> I guess they have a special... I've never looked inside the van. But... Be a hose that they... Like a vacuum. Yeah, they suck it up into... and all this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. These are hairy dogs, too, so I don't want to be in there. Uh, my stamp of approval uh, will go to... I think I'm going to say Washington, D.C. As you know, Ray, I was just there over the weekend for a wedding. Quick trip. It was like 48 hours. But on Saturday morning, uh, we got to kind of walk around the National Mall with, you know, the, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the uh, World War II Memorial, uh, saw the White House. Uh, and, you know, hey, if you live in D.C., you probably never do those things. But if you visit D.C. once every five, six, seven years, and, and I kind of do that with the Sirius XM, sometimes you and I get a chance to go out there for occasionally to do some work or what have you. But this was purely a visit. And we had a great time Saturday morning just walking around and um, you know, so the, the wonder of D.C. is everything is free. And Ray, that was a great way to spend the morning. It's so beautiful, too. And I, 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 I remarked a couple of times to my wife and her family that uh, take a good look around because this is your tax money at work. Mm. You know, everybody always complains. Oh, my time, my, well, you should have seen these grounds, Ray. I mean, beautiful. The reflection pond and pool. And mm -hmm. you know, that was beautiful. And uh, the trees all healthy, the grass all green and well man manicured and maintained. And everybody's out there enjoying the sights and, you know, going through the, the memories and memorials and, and kind of paying respect uh, to those who have gone before us. It was it was kind of uh, kind of gave me some extra juice about uh, our country, if you will. Yeah, a beautiful place. Uh, the last time I was at D.C. was actually with you um, when it was about 10 years ago now. Uh, and I remember the same thing because when I had gone when I was younger and I, you know, you take it in when you're 15 years old, but you don't. So, I, you know, going back as an adult with you, I thought was a really nice experience because it, it meant a lot more to me then. And it's probably something I'll do again. I've been reading all these books about the history of our country and everything. I'll have to get back there too soon. My wife had never been to D.C. Hmm. Um, and we'll go back and make more of it. Like I said, this was a quick trip for a wedding, but um, we, we had to go to the White House, right? She was very excited to see the White House, but she was so disappointed at how far away you're kept from the White House. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah, you're across the street and you mm -hmm. can still see it well, but... And I was like, what'd you expect to go knock on the door and have a sit down lunch, you know, with the president? It's funny. I've been reading about the Lincoln assassination and up until the point of Abraham Lincoln in the 1860s, you could do exactly that. You could really? walk up to the White House, say, I want to talk to the president. You sat in line and you waited. And every day, every day. <laughs> no way. Yes. Every day, the president would talk to people from the street. Every really? day. Yes. And they obviously changed that after Lincoln's assassination. But that was, you know, they, they had, at different periods of time they did it differently because the president's it was the people's house and so from the very beginning the people could always come and talk but think about that abraham lincoln you could have gone and said i want to talk to him you might have to come back a different day man i got to you <laughs> but if you had something to talk to him about you could have waited in line and talked to the president of the united states life was simpler all those 150 plus years ago much simpler yes yeah a little simpler populate you know you didn't if, if you did that today ray i mean my god the first day you'd have 4,000 people knocking on that. Oh, you'd be arrested if you walked in there and saying you wanted to talk to the president and you're not leaving. That's <laughs> <laughs> the first thing they would do. Yeah, like I'm a citizen. World. Like you said, it's the yeah. I pay your salary. You do. <laughs> True story. I'm your boss, kind yeah. of. Like yeah. one of 330 million bosses that yeah. you have. Yeah. I'm one of them. Uh, that'll do it for the uh, stamp of approval. Does it for the podcast. But before we get out of here, uh, Ray, where can the people find you? We uh, over at fantasyguru.com, of course, at Baseball Guys on Twitter, Instagram's D Ray Flowers. Um, 
We just finished up. I, I saw this morning that the 50th of the five zero podcast for the football product at fantasy guru was posted. Uh, you and I were involved in about 15, 20 of those. Uh, so those are all available. All the rankings are available. There's a draft guide for best ball. There's a draft guide section for uh, dynasty leagues. There's of course the traditional PPR, non PPR rankings, all that kind of stuff. It's a great product. So everyone want to check that out at fantasyguru.com for the football side of things. We've got the baseball and football products both going right now over to elitefantasy.com. If you want to play DFS, if you want to get a you know get some more baseball juice in before the season's over, we've got that product. The football product is now available, both college football and NFL, over elitefantasy.com. We even have some CFL. We even have some CFL. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so elitefantasy.com's got you covered for all that. And uh, you and I are still rocking things on Sirius um, Friday. Saturday, Sunday nights on the Fantasy Drive. It's uh, 10 to 12 Eastern on Fridays, 9 to 11 Saturdays and Sundays. I love having Ray as my PR guy. I don't have to say anything. I'm your hype man. Yeah, you did forget the live stream, though. I I, I do that. When when can people catch you in the live stream, Kyle? Uh, 5.30 Eastern. uh, Every day, Monday through Friday. I'm only on there, though, Monday, Thursday, Friday. So if you want to avoid me, Tuesday and Wednesday would be the days to do it. 5.30 to 6.30, getting baseball DFS and... Now we're starting to get some of that preseason football. I've been uh, managing to sneak on some EPL, kind nice. of forcing that down. We have few. soccer too. Yeah, we've got that. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. I, I love the the EPL, and hey, it's a place to make money. Believe me. So, if you're looking for stuff, we got you covered there. That'll do it for this edition of the Baseball Elite Podcast. I am Kyle Elfrick. He is Ray Flowers. Thanks for uh, listening. We will be back next week with more fantasy baseball discussion, courtesy of FantasyGuru.com. <laughs>